Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome to the start of a new week on Sports Talk Mississippi. One day, just one day this week to you coming from the Magnolia State, then we will move one state to the east starting tomorrow for the SEC Baseball Tournament where on Wednesday there is a 10% chance of rain. Otherwise, forget about it. Sunny, the high temperature starting on Tuesday going through Sunday, 92, 91, 92, 94, 95, 94. Summer has arrived, and it arrived uh, with a vengeance in Birmingham, Hoover, etc. Glad to have you along. Sports Talk brought to you by Mississippi Land Bank online, mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, well, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing land and all that goes along with it for over 100 years. So if you are in North Mississippi and you need a little help with your land financing or building a house in the country or refinancing an existing loan or buying equipment, give Mississippi Land Bank a call. You can find the number or their branch locations on their website at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Hello, Michael Borky. What's up? Hey, man. Monday, sunshine, warm, summer's here, I'm in. Yeah, not bad. And I had – so I learned two things this weekend. You ready for this? One. Tell it. The Rolling Stones song, uh, Honky Tonk Woman, Uh they originally wrote it thinking about a woman from Jackson. But Memphis sounded better. So they wrote it about Memphis. I watched a Rolling Stones documentary this weekend, and and Mick Jagger is just talking about that, how how, uh, they they got together to write songs and uh, channeled their inner country music and thought about Jackson and changed it in the writing process because Memphis sounded a little bit better. But they wrote that song with Jackson in mind, which is pretty cool. Even where, though where, the, does, where does I Met a Gin-Soaked Barroom Queen in Memphis rank among the all-time opening line, opening lyrics of a song? Ooh, That's a really good question. It's, it's up there. It's not my number one, but it's up there. What's number one for you? Hey, hey, mama said the way you move, going to make you sweat, going to make you groove. (laughs) That's That's number one for me. Porky? Oh, man, anything with Led Zeppelin. That's a tough question, though. That's a really good question. That just kind of popped into my head. So, yeah, I guess I met a gin-soaked barroom queen in Jackson. Didn't sound quite quite as good. Yeah, I mean... Memphis is the birthplace of the blues, birthplace of rock and roll. So, well, I'm sorry, birthplace of rock and roll. I guess the blues birthplace is considered to be Crossroads, right, in Clarksdale? Absolutely. Yes, sir. 
And it's amazing the influences that that band took away from it. Anyway, it was a documentary on Netflix I watched about their okay. tour in Latin America. It was interesting as can be, but they brought that up in two. My the, Britney the, the second Sp- thing that you learned this weekend. My Britney Spaniel. I know he's a bird dog, but he literally caught a robin out of the air this weekend. Hmm? It was the coolest thing I've ever seen. So we had a, a bird feeder that got knocked off of our... We have a huge pine tree in the backyard. I mean, massive pine tree. And it, a, tr- a falling tree limb knocked the bird feeder off of the tree. So there's seed all over our backyard, and birds have been landing on the ground to pick at the seed. And we were standing out Saturday. I had a beer in my hand. The sun was setting. And I'm just watching my dogs play in the backyard. And a robin lands in the middle of the yard. And Maverick just freezes. And he does the point thing. Even though I've never taught him how to hunt. I took him from somebody. He, he had a rough upbringing. So he, he never learned how to hunt. But he stops and he points. And takes one slow step at a time. One slow step at a time. And then takes off at this bird. And the bird tried to fly away, but it was too late. And he jumped and caught the thing in his mouth. Sadly, it, I mean, it, it, I the bird didn't make it, did you? The bird did not make it. He, he killed it right <laughs> away. But it was That's the two stroke penalty. Yeah. It was the coolest thing I've ever seen. He caught the robin out of the air. I mean, he jumped and lunged at it and caught this bird. And he's never been trained how to do that. And he's three years old now. That's his first kill, as far as I know. So, yeah, there's, that was my weekend. Those are the two things you learned this weekend. Those are the two things I learned this weekend. uh, A reasonably good weekend. Hey, Dad, what's up? I didn't learn anything this weekend. Not one thing? Not not to my knowledge. Nothing popped into my head. So, I was contemplating. uh, This isn't something that I learned, but I think it was something that was just a reminder. It doesn't really matter how good of a baseball team you are. And it doesn't matter how poor the team you're playing is. Sometimes baseball just jumps up and bites you. Yeah, I mean it just that's happens. At every level. It's at every level. Look at the Marlins. That's the worst team in baseball, but they'll win 60 games this year. You know, I mean it just happens every now and then. That's what happened to Mississippi State on Saturday. They just played poorly for a few innings and that was enough for South Carolina to take a lead and that's that's all they needed. So dug saw, themselves I, a hole just a little too deep to climb out of. They were close. I will say that close I saw, to climbing out of it. Yeah. I saw four home runs this weekend that were among the four longest home runs I've ever seen at Duty Double Field. Three of them were hit by South Carolina players on Saturday. <laughs> Combination of two things, right? right? Number one, it was warm. And once the weather starts warming up, the ball starts flying better and guys are looser and they're swinging harder. And number two, and we've seen it overall this season with the number of balls that have been hit out at at Duty Noble, Mm -hmm. the new construction, the way the stadium is configured, the fact that, um, yeah, even though you're kind of blocking that north wind, but at the same time, um, you, you got a little bit of a, a wind tunnel effect in a couple of different parts. I've seen some impressive home runs there this year. It's really like a new stadium. It, it's not just a new configuration of an old stadium. It plays like a totally different stadium now. It's become much more of a hitter's park. And you've seen that this year in some of the power numbers, two bulldogs and double figures and home runs. Uh, and then, like I said, on, Saturday, on Friday night, Josh Hatcher's home run hit off the middle of the batter's eye out there in center. Now, you've been to Duny Noble. You know how far away that is. And then 
on Saturday, two of the home runs, I'm pretty sure, left the yard. And I mean left the stadium in left field. Who? Just pulled out of there. And then another one off of that batter's eye again. Just monster shots this weekend. we got a bunch to get to this afternoon. Mississippi State takes two of three from South Carolina. They are tied with Arkansas as SEC Western Division champions, although Arkansas gets the tiebreaker because they swept Mississippi State in Fayetteville earlier in the season. They will be the two seed in the SEC tournament. Mississippi State is the four seed. Ole Miss dropped a series at Tennessee, did not play particularly well in the first two games. I thought they actually played fairly well. Didn't score a ton of runs, but a, a big pitching outing uh, from Gunnar Hoagland and um, some good decisions late in the ball game to uh, win game three, salvage one, and finish 16-14 and 14 this year in the SEC. Ole Miss is the seven seed in the tournament. They will play Missouri at uh, 1 o'clock-ish. Tomorrow, the SEC tournament bracket is set. Brian Haydad's going to sleep in while he's in Hoover <laughs> because he is going to be up late, at least for as long as Mississippi State wins. Bulldogs won't play their first game until Wednesday night. There will have been seven games that have been played before Mississippi State takes the field for its first in the SEC tournament. Do you like that time slot? I do not. I was I do. for that. Pulling for that 9, 8, 9 a.m. slot on, uh, or whatever it is, the early game one on Wednesday. Yeah, uh, to me that's just so boring and it's so dead. There's always a little bit more atmosphere, and it kind of, you know, if you played baseball as a kid, there was somewhere along the way where you played in a tournament or you had a rain delay or something happened. Maybe you were on an all-star team and it was one of those deals in a small town where you look up and you're playing baseball at midnight. And I always thought that was fun as a kid. And I feel like late nights are fun at the ballpark as well. I know there are lots of people that love to complain about it and don't like it. And they will. But just ignore them. It's baseball. There's no school. It's going to be warm. It won't be nearly as hot as it is for the, uh, the earlier games, you know, with it being completely dark at first pitch. I think it's a cool spot. And that's where Mississippi State will be, uh, at least for as long as they win. And like you said at the beginning of this, a lot of the delays that you see are weather-related, and it doesn't appear we're going to have that. So it's possible, I won't jinx anything, but it's possible that what 8.30 first pitch time might be a little closer than it normally is under uh, under most circumstances. Yeah. What What are the games slated for 9.30, 1, 4.30, and then 8? 8, eight is the eight first is pitch. the scheduled first pitch. Uh, probably more like nine o'clock. I mean, usually, yeah, you know, we'll see how those games go. Sometimes they rock along. Sometimes they're nice and slow. If you get extra innings, that can throw everything out of whack. So uh, we'll see how the uh, the tournament flows. You have a uh, a new PGA champion. He's the same PGA champion you had from a year ago. Chad Kelly's getting another shot in the NFL. Mike Smith, the softball coach at Ole Miss, will join us a little later this afternoon. His team is headed to a Super Regional after an impressive day yesterday. Teddy Cahill from Baseball America joins us. We'll get to strength of schedule rankings for SEC football teams. A ton to get to on this Monday afternoon with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Monday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Rippy, uh, Brian Scott Rippy will join us a little bit later this afternoon. He scooted on over to Hoover. Ole Miss had a media opportunity this afternoon, and uh, I think that's at four o'clock. So he is going to uh, take that in and will join us a little bit later this afternoon. We'll see if he learned anything from talking to 
uh, Mike Bianco and uh, some of the Ole Miss players. Got a question on the C Spire text line. 601-879-4395 is the number for you. At C Spire Repair Center, they love making happier experiences for you. That's why they've got one-hour phone repair, fixing any phone from any carrier with certified parts and technicians. Visit cspire.com slash repair to find a repair center near you. C Spire, customer inspired. 601-879-4395 is the number. Dan in Charleston said, how did Southern Miss do this weekend? Lost two of three. Disappointing weekend for the Golden Eagles. Uh, lost three to two in ten innings on Thursday night, one ten to five on Friday night, and then lost a slugfest on Saturday to UAB to close out the regular season. Uh, lost at thirteen to ten. They will play on Wednesday in the Conference USA tournament against Rice. That game is scheduled uh, to have a first pitch at twelve thirty, so noon thirty on Wednesday for Southern Miss in their Conference USA tournament down in Biloxi debut. All right, let's start things with baseball. Mississippi State wins the series against South Carolina. They get a share of the SEC Western Division. Everything was right there for them to win it outright and get the number two seed in the tournament because Texas A&M took two from Arkansas this weekend. Couldn't get the sweep. Got started. Uh, we talked about uh, Thursday's win, 24-7. to We talked about that on Friday. Friday night, Haydad, 11-2, to and another big offensive uh, night for Mississippi State. Yeah, a game that was uh, two to two going into the later innings, but State exploded for uh, for nine runs in the seventh and the eighth to put it, to put it to bed. And uh, you know, solid outing for JT Ginn. He got into a little trouble there, I think, in the second inning. Uh, but beyond that, he, he was he was pretty solid. Uh, but of course, State's bats are the stories there. Tanner Allen, what a weekend for him! You know, the, the SEC didn't do Player of the Week this week because they announced all their yearly awards. But I have to think he would have gotten it. He was twelve of fifteen on the weekend, including a five for five day in there. So. Yeah, states. I mean, they scored thirty six yeah, runs. Did they? Did they do play? I didn't see it. Yeah, I just got to find it. That email came early this morning, I think. I'll find it and we'll All get right. back to that. Obviously, uh, well, he should have been player of the week if that was the way. I, they didn't announce it on Twitter. Or Here you go. I didn't see it. Okay. Uh, player of the week: Stephen Scott from Vanderbilt. Lame. Um, first SEC title since twenty thirteen. Three home runs and seven hits in Kentucky. Three multi hit games. Three walks. Seven runs scored. So, so Four home runs for the week. <laughs> five less hits than Tanner Allen is what you're trying to tell me? Yeah, but uh, he made up for it in long I mean, ball. He the power numbers for sure. But, I mean, Allen had, I think, eight RBI on the weekend. But regardless, it doesn't matter. I feel like Tanner Allen got bookended. He, he should have been SEC Player of the Week the first week of the season against Youngstown State. And he should have been here. But, oh, well, that's just how it goes sometimes. But, yeah. State was, you know, very solid on Friday night, and it looked like it looked like a sweep was going to be easy pickings. But like you said in the first segment, man, that, that's just how the sport of baseball goes. Ten to eight was the final in Saturday's ball game. Mississippi State fell behind one to nothing early. They tied it at one in the bottom of the fourth inning. South Carolina got three runs in the top of the fifth to make it four to one. They added four more runs in the top of the seventh. At that point, you go. Nah, probably hard to dig out of that hole. So it was eight to one. Bulldogs though made it interesting. They got two runs in the bottom of the seventh to make it eight three. South Carolina added two more runs in the top of the eighth inning. It was ten to three. Mississippi State put a four spot on the board in the bottom of the eighth. That made it ten to seven, and then got a run in the bottom of the ninth inning to make it ten to eight. And had the tying run on base, right? Tying runs on base. Tying run was at the plate. Okay, it was at the plate. 
Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, I was I was pretty convinced that the, the guy at the plate was Marshall Gilbert, the nine-hole hitter. I was almost convinced he was going to get on base and that Mangum somehow in his last regular season at bat would hit a three-run walk-off home run. That's just I guess that's what I expect from Jake Mangum um, at this point. The big play in the game is in the eighth inning. Uh, Cole Gordon has two outs, 0-2 on the uh, the Gamecock batter. I don't have that in front of me who, who, who it was, but he, he loses him. And uh, puts him on base with a walk, and then in the uh, the next uh, batter, Eister hits a monster, absolute monster home run that made it ten to eight. Those two insurance runs were huge for South Carolina. It's the difference in the game. Otherwise, you got a tie ball game uh, there in the bottom of the ninth. So, you know, a base on balls, man. They they will kill you, especially like I said, you're uh, you're up o two in the count. You expect to get that uh, that strikeout from Cole Gordon. He didn't get it, and not to put the loss on him, obviously, because you know State gave up ten runs on the day, but. That was that was a key play in the game. Yep, and so that's uh, that's how it ended. Mississippi State takes two of three, and uh, certainly was a uh, a good regular season for. Eh, it was more than good. Forty five and eleven in the regular yeah. season. Only eleven losses. Uh, they go twenty and ten in the SEC and finish as co champs in the West. Yep, four teams Pretty over good twenty wins in the SEC. This year, four. That's incredible. And didn't we didn't we do this six weeks ago, where we were kind of looking at how the the season had started for everybody in the SEC and tried to kind of predict what the the number was going to be to win the West and to win yeah. the overall title. Yeah. And what twenty two would have done it. Yeah. Um, so your final standings in the uh, in the SEC, Vanderbilt. No, I'm sorry. Twenty two would not have done it. Vanderbilt finishes twenty three and seven, two games clear of Georgia, who was twenty one and nine. Mississippi State and Arkansas both go twenty and ten. LSU finishes third in the West at seventeen and thirteen. They get a big sweep, and LSU's probably uh, played themselves right back into being a host uh, when you look at the seventeen wins in conference play and also the. Um, uh, also, the uh, the RPI to go along with it. Texas A and M sixteen thirteen and one. Then you got Ole Miss at sixteen and fourteen there in the uh, in the West as well. Um, as far as teams that are going to get into the NCAA tournament from the SEC in the West, it'll be Mississippi State, Arkansas, LSU, Texas A and M, Ole Miss, and maybe Auburn. We'll have to wait and see bubbly. on Auburn. Little bubbly, a lot bubbly, yeah. a lot bubbly. In the East. Vanderbilt's going to get in. Georgia's going to get in. Feel really confident that Tennessee's going to get in with the 14 SEC wins. Yeah. Uh, and then it gets interesting. Missouri at 13, 16, and one. Florida at 13 and 17. Florida gave themselves a chance by getting the sweep at Missouri, and what a tough weekend for Missouri to uh, to get swept at home. Yeah, Tennessee is is the team. Some poor one seed's going to wake up on Monday morning, and Tennessee's going to be in their bracket, and they're not going to be really happy about that because that is not that is not the two seed you want to see. No, because they can pitch. Yes, they uh, yeah. they can absolutely pitch. When you look at uh, SEC and the RPI, Vanderbilt is two, Georgia three, Mississippi State four, Arkansas is six, Tennessee is at eleven, A and M is fourteen. Uh, LSU at 21, I'm sorry, Auburn at 19, LSU at 21, uh, Florida scoots up to 25, and uh, that's the team that's got the number four strength of schedule in the country, and that's why they are where they are. Missouri 26, 
Ole Miss down at 31 after losing two out of three uh, this weekend. When you're looking at hosting, uh, Vanderbilt's going to be a national seed. Georgia's going to be a national seed. Mississippi State and Arkansas uh, most likely both going to be national seeds as well. And then after that, probably LSU. Although I don't think they need to just go and lose in the SEC tournament on Tuesday. And then after that, anybody else that could potentially even get into the conversation would have to make a deep run, deep run in the SEC tournament to uh, to even have a chance to host. Yeah, so look, I agree with that. Four national seeds and five total host spots. It's pretty good out of one yeah. league. Yeah. You know, you know who Florida is is cursing right now more than they normally do is Florida State. Florida State is normally, you know, they they've beaten them well, I think four times this year. Normally that would be huge, but Florida State's RPI is sitting at 50 right now. Normally that would be like a top 20, top 15 RPI win for them. It's not. Yeah. Um, the Ferris Trophy winner, the C Spire Ferris Trophy winner was announced earlier today. Uh, I didn't think there was much drama at all. I actually had some conversations with some people said, you know, you've got scouts that vote on this, and so because you've got scouts voting – is Jake Mangum a slam dunk? And I talked to somebody last night and said, look, if I had a vote, I really think I would vote for Ethan Small, which wouldn't be terrible. Right. You could, you could but Jake Mangum a, a small. deserved yeah. to win the award. There was definitely a, a bit of a career achievement award. Plus, as, Ma- as Michael Borky will tell you, it's important that, you know, since Jake Mangum played with Boo Ferris, to give yeah, him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Coming up next, we're going to chat with Mike Smith, the softball coach at Ole Miss. His team found itself yesterday with their backs against the wall. They were in the loser's bracket, and they had to win twice, two times, against Louisiana Lafayette, a team that had over 50 wins on the year, and I think had won 29 in a row uh, before dropping back-to-back games yesterday to Ole Miss. We'll talk with Mike Smith when we come back on the Farm Bureau phone line. More coming up with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. For the second time in three years, the Ole Miss softball team has hosted a regional, and they have won a regional to advance to a super regional and play for a shot at the Women's College World Series in Oklahoma City. Right now on the Farm Bureau phone line, check out favorites.com and go with the home team. We're joined by Mike Smith, head softball coach at Ole Miss. 40-18 and 18 on the season after a 5-1 to one winner-take-all championship game victory yesterday over Louisiana. Coach, congratulations on uh, a really exciting weekend and uh, an especially exciting game uh, yesterday to, uh, in the uh, in the winner-take-all game. Thanks, Richard. Appreciate it. Yeah, it was pretty exciting for everybody involved. A little stressful. Uh, added a few more gray hairs uh, to the top of my head, but uh, what a great um, what a great regional we had. UL, um, man, played their hearts out there. A great ball club. Um, that re- this regional could have went either way, and I was just we were just fortunate enough that uh, we came out on top, and we had to do it the long way. But our girls were resilient; and they got it done. Mike, if we could rewind to to when it was announced that you were going to be hosting, and you saw the four teams that were coming to Oxford, and you saw that Louisiana Lafayette was one of those. They had 50 wins on the season. They had a long win streak coming in. What was your initial thought when you saw that they were one of the four teams that was going to be in Oxford? Um, well, with us being an 11 seed, I knew that they were potentially had an opportunity to host. 
So a lot of times as an 11 seed, you think, you're thinking you're probably going to get a pretty decent number two. Didn't think we'd get, um, you know, a Lafayette, although knowing the NCAA in the past, a lot of times they try to keep teams within their regions. So I had a feeling there was a good shot. We may get a UL, uh, potentially a lot tech coming in here. Um, but, you know, I, for, for either team, I knew it was going to be a tough regional. No matter where you go, when you're talking about bringing in 64 teams into a into the uh, the tournament, and there's four teams in there, you know you're going to get some really good teams coming in, or the best 64 that are left, and um, you just roll with it. To be the best, you got to play the best, and um, you know I felt like we had a really good regional. If we rewind a couple of years to to late May of 2014 when you were announced as the head coach. And this is not to denigrate anybody before you, but you didn't exactly inherit a program that was in fantastic shape and certainly did not inherit a program that had had any postseason success. How have you built this into a program that in two of the last three years has advanced to a Super Regional? Um, well... One, I get. I have to give credit to, um, you know, of course, our players and really just coming in and really wanting to change, really just the direction of where this program has, has had been before. And so each team that has been in here, we've just got progressively better. Um, shout out goes to my coaching staff from a recruiting standpoint and the players that were going out recruiting and trying to get, you know, better than the next year. And so, um, you know, you have a you have a goal, a mindset. Um, you want to get athletic kids in here that are going to give you opportunities to win. Sometimes you don't always get the best outfielder, but you're going. Sometimes you're going to try to find the best athlete and try to put them into situations where they're going to be successful. Um, and that's what we tried to do. We tried to get the most talented kids that were available, um, and you know, sell them on Oxford. And once we get them on campus, um, this is a great place. It's an easy sell, but. Um, when you're Ole Miss and, and you don't have any national experience, um, sometimes you don't always get the best kids in the country. And so it takes time. Um, but I felt like we had the staff in place to be able to do that. Um, and now it was just trying to kind of put our um, our experience where, where it was and try to develop these players and give them an opportunity to play for some type of championship. And it was a slow process at first, but just felt like it was one, you, know, you put one foot in front of the other and you get to where you're at. And did I ever think that we'd be playing for two super regionals um, in five years? I didn't. I thought it would take a while. I thought it would take a, a full recruiting class, maybe year number five or six. And you know, now we're uh, we've played for two. Um, we played in four regional champ, three regional championships, and uh, actually, really four regional championships and two we've won here at home and two we've been on the road and lost those regional championships. So I feel like this program's in a great place and now our next step is to win this super um, and get a shot at going to the College World Series. When I sent you a message earlier today, I was kind of scrolling back through some text messages and I came across one that I had sent you from May 16th of last year. We were doing the show in Clinton at the JUCO Division II World Series 
and had gotten a message from Molly Jacobson, who was actually on the air with us last year. Uh, she was pitching in that tournament and wanted to tell you hello because she knew that she was coming to Ole Miss. You look up yesterday, and she is the pitcher in game number one. It's an absolutely must-win game. And you get a – I don't know if it's fair to call it a relatively easy win, but a 5-1 to one win to force that winner-take-all game yesterday afternoon. Yeah, you know, um, I remember that text message. Um, you know, we were – I think we were um, – we may have been on the road. You were road in Arizona, after. weren't you? Yeah, 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 I think so. And so um, we were just, we knew that, you know, uh, Finney was going to throw game one and, um, you know, Molly was going to, you know, uh, we were going to try to go after it, um, you know, with with the way we did it. And uh, Molly threw a great ball game. She gave us an opportunity to get to game two and, um, you know, even though it wasn't an easy game, UL is a good program. Um, you know, anytime you can win 50 games, no matter who you're playing and what you, who your opponents are, um, you got to be successful. And Molly came out and did what we needed her to do and got that big win for us. And then Finney came in and um, she did what she needed to do. And we made a change in the middle of the game. You know, I kind of went with my gut um, and made that change. And in turn, you know, that three-run homer was hit and brought Finney back in and she kind of, Close that game out for us, but I'm just proud of the way these girls played this weekend. You know, we had that, we won really three elimination games in a row between Saturday and Sunday, and um, this team had a, just a resilient mindset. They didn't want to lose. They, they knew that this was our house and we needed to defend it, and they did what they, what they uh, set out to do, and that's to, um, to win those ball games. And and no shortage of drama in the second game. You're down a run going into the bottom of the seventh inning, but you've got home field advantage. You've got that last at bat, but you can't come back if you don't get base runners. And you were able to get base runners to start the inning, I think a double into the gap to start the inning, and then you kind of get things moving from there. You did some things on the bases. You have a swinging bunt, that you know, a squeeze play that allows you to come home and score a run to tie it and really put yourself in a good chance to, to maybe be able to walk it off. Yeah, um, you know, Michaela, who's our number nine hitter, doesn't have a great average, but she always finds a way to get on base, and she probably had some one of the best at-bats um, really of the weekend, um, let alone her home run um, in game one of uh, on Sunday. But just that battling in that at-bat, she was down really one-two in that count and battled herself back and got a ball out over the plate that she was able to drive and um, let off that inning with a double, and then any time you could roll it back around to the top of your lineup with Kylan Becker and Abby Latham and Autumn Gillespie, and, you know, you're going one, two, three, four. Um, it just gives you hope again. And, you know, Kylan did what Kylan does and gets on base, and we were runners at first and third. And, um, you know, Abby comes up, and I thought that, um, you know, her at bat, um, she kind of um, didn't get some pitches that I felt like, we're out of the zone, and the umpire, you know, called some pitches that we didn't think were there and struck her out. Uh, but then uh, Autumn was up, and I knew that we needed to find another way um, to do it with three with our three and four hitter. We knew that um, Autumn was a really good bunner. Um, she didn't. She we tried to get her down with a sacrifice her at bat before and struggled with that. But I knew that I had confidence in her. I was surprised that UL didn't um, walk her to get bases loaded because that really kind of put us still in a in a bunt squeeze situation right there with Kylan Becker at third base, and they did it, and we went first pitch, and 
put down a perfect squeeze and then came up again with a runner at third base and um, were able to safety squeeze on that. And Kylan did yeah. a really good job on selling it and getting to that point. And then, of course, Horton does what Horton does and puts the ball on the ground and is a great contact hitter. And we win the ball game in dramatic fashion. And um, it's just a special moment for this team, for this university uh, for the fans that stuck around and stayed through game seven. Um, it, it was just one of those tournaments that you're never, ever going to forget. Mike, last thing, we've only got about 30 seconds left. Now you head west. You, you mentioned a second ago you, you've put yourself in a position to try and get to Oklahoma City. That's the goal for every softball team in the country. What does it take to uh, to go and get two from Arizona and get to OKC? Well, they're a good hitting team. they got great pitching. You know, they've hit triple-digit home runs. I think they got 103, 104 home runs on the year. So we're going to have to try to keep the ball in the yard. The ball travels in Arizona. Um, So we're going to have to do our job pitching. Pitching has been a really big piece of of our program this year. And we've got to be able to, you know, get people on base and make things happen. Um, I don't think they've seen the speed like we've had the entire year. And so I think that's going to be be a big piece. They're very very well coached. They've got a great coach, a Hall of Famer. Um, They're playing in their brand-new stadium. So... We've got our task cut out, but we had that back in uh, 2017 against UCLA and had an opportunity to potentially win that super. And um, But our girls are up to it, up to the challenge, and we're excited about having that opportunity and representing Rebel Nation and representing the SEC and hoping we get an opportunity to get to uh, Oklahoma City. Congratulations. And, hey, one good piece of news, Jenny Finch has no eligibility left, so you're not going to face her. Ah, that's a really good thing. We're, we're, we're excited for that. <laughs> yeah. Mike, thanks so much. Congratulations. Thanks, Rich. Appreciate it. The SEC regular season is over for Ole Miss and Mississippi State. The SEC tournament starts tomorrow in Hoover. You're going to get an inside look at what's happening in Hoover at the SEC tournament on Sports Talk Mississippi all this week as we broadcast live from the Hoover Met starts tomorrow. Plus, you'll find out who's in and who's out as we get closer to the NCAA regional selections. Additionally, the Super Talk Eagle Hour will be covering Southern Mississippi at the Conference USA tournament in Biloxi on Wednesday and Thursday. Tune in starting at 1 o'clock on Super Talk Hattiesburg, Super Talk Laurel, and Super Talk Pike County. Plus, listen on demand at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad with you on this Monday afternoon. Glad to have you along. Show's brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. It's time right now for Winners and Losers. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. I'm a loser, baby. We got winners. We got losers. Americans love a winner. And will not tolerate a loser. Winner never wins. And a winner never wins. All right, winners and losers from the weekend. The first one I've got has absolutely nothing to do with sports, but you may have seen this story from over the weekend. A guy by the name of Robert Smith is a billionaire. Uh, involved in investments and fund management and all those good things. Uh, and has done quite well for himself. He was the commencement speaker at Morehouse College. So you don't get on the winner's list just for being a college commencement speaker. But in the course of his speech, in the course of his commencement address to the 2019 graduating class of Morehouse College, he said something that uh, even the folks that were nodding off a little bit because they thought they were bored and they were just waiting to get their diploma, 
got everybody's attention. Robert Smith announced during his commencement address that he was paying off every penny of student debt from every one of the graduating uh, the graduates of Morehouse College in the class of 2019. It was about 400 graduates and the total number is roughly 40 million dollars. Robert Smith, you are on the winners list. How cool is that? Wish you would have spoken at my graduation. Yeah, that's about to say. Yeah, there are a lot of people that are going, you know what? It came down to Morehouse College and one other place, and I chose that one other place, and oh, what was I doing? What was I thinking? That'll get you on the winner's list, though. Borky, who you got? Steph Curry. Kevin Durant goes down. I figured you guys were going to cover the baseball stuff, so I'm going national. Steph Curry, uh, when Kevin Durant went down, you all season long you had the, the debate whether or not this was Kevin Durant's team and Kevin Durant's the best player in the world and blah, 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 blah. Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant. He gets hurt, and it's always been Steph Curry's team. Steph Curry's the greatest shooter to ever live, but he's more than that. He's a good passer. He's a good enough defender as well. He's got great vision. He's obviously an extremely good leader. The Golden State Warriors, as we know them, have always been Steph Curry's team, and he's taken over and shown you exactly why he's the best shooter to ever live. He and Klay Thompson both dominating a really good Portland team on their way to the NBA Finals. He deserves more credit than he got all season long for what that team is. It's been built on his back, and now he's showing why. Everybody says the Warriors, as we know them, will be over after this year. What if they're not? What if Kevin Durant leaves, but they, um, they've already got Steph Curry on a max deal? Then they stay dominant. If it's just what if they, Kevin what Durant? What if they sign Clay Thompson and hold on to Draymond? Then they're still the team to beat. And they'll go pick with, up somebody in free agency with the money that they're going to be, that they'll have extra from Kevin Durant leaving. Yeah, the, they will still be dominant. If it's Durant and Clay Thompson, then they'll be knocked down a peg. Okay. Hey, Dad, give me a winner. I'm going to give you uh, five winners. I'm going to give you okay. uh, all the Mississippi State players who weren't honored today. We already talked about uh, Jake Mangum, but Ethan Small named the SEC Pitcher of the Year. JT Ginn, the SEC Freshman of the Year. And then Mangum and Small, first team All-SEC, along with Tanner Allen and Justin Foscu. Big day for MSU baseball. I also have one more, courtesy of our good friend Rebecca Turner. She wants me to list... Is it? I don't know if it's pronounced right. Bot Express, the horse with no jockey. The horse with no jockey ran a race. It ran the Preakness. It had no jockey, and it ran the race. That is worthy of being a winner. Jockey just fall off early. The horse. Kept I believe. Going. I think. I think he got bucked off. <laughs> and he didn't finish last, which is really embarrassing for yeah. the jockey on the horse that did. Yeah. Just kind of goes to show you the horses kind of know what it is that they're supposed to do in that setting, right? Just run as fast as you can. Try and get to the end before the other horses. I got two more winners for you. The Ole Miss softball team came out of the losers bracket yesterday. Louisiana Lafayette was fifty-two and four on the season. They lost four times. They had a twenty-nine game win streak going into yesterday's game. Ole Miss beat them five to one, and then got a walk-off win five to four in the bottom of the seventh inning to advance to a Super Regional for the second time in three years. They will take on the Arizona Wildcats out in Tucson 
this coming weekend. And here, uh, this would be, uh, you, you were going multiple. I'm going to give you three names, and then I'll explain. My winners are Jane, Bandit, and Tank. Jane is my wife. You've heard of her before. Jane does a lot of things well. There are very few things that she does better than plan birthday parties. And I just got to be honest, I just kind of, I don't even roll my eyes anymore. I just kind of sit back and say, yes, ma'am. And she doesn't really even bounce ideas off me other than, hey, I think this is what we're going to do. And I go, okay, that's fine. We woke up Saturday morning and she was like, and what are we going to do about the ponies? I said, um, yeah, I, I forgot that we had ponies coming to our house this afternoon. So Bandit and Tank are the ponies. Bandit was the pony that you couldn't ride. All you could do was pet. But Bandit wore an, a unicorn horn. and oh, was, uh, was good. She was there. Oh, oh, Bandit loved the unicorn horn. Never even flinched. And was a uh, was a crowd favorite. And Tank... Well, Tank was the uh, the stouter of the uh, of the small ponies. They saddled him up, and a bunch of little kids just rode around in a circle, just walked in a circle, in a circle, nice. in a circle, in a circle, over and over. Is there anything better than ponies at birthday parties for little people? Only if it's Little Sebastian. Little Sebastian. Parks and Rec reference. Richard. Oh God! Don't do it, Morky. Stop. Just let him let him walk. You said Sebastian, and I was thinking Under the Sea, and I wasn't sure how you were going to get like a. Uh, I got one more winner, real quick. Okay, Emily Haydad, my youngest, she won the pitching award at the Starkville uh, High School softball camp this weekend. Hey. There you go, Emily. Yeah, nice. If you're listening, Coach Van Studeman, if you can hold on for ten years, I got help coming. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. She'll, she'll, get on, she'll get on the circle for you. One more LSU basketball. They got a commitment today from a five-star forward named Trendon Watford, and apparently. This kid's dad was coached by an LSU assistant. Whatever. The fact that LSU basketball still has Will Wade and is still getting five stars. And they're still getting five star basketball players. I respect it so much. LSU does not care at all what we think. They're keeping Will Wade. They're recruiting like gangbusters still, and they're owning it. I love it. And and Javante Smart, Javante Smart, who is the recipient of that strong offer, allegedly. Announced today he was coming back. Tested the NBA draft waters, coming back for his sophomore season in Baton Rouge. I love it so much. Finger in the air. Yes, sir. They're just, come come on at us. And they're not doing it on Twitter. They're doing it the right way. And just by not caring at all and keeping their coach and keeping their players who are discussed on federal wiretaps. All right, losers list. I know we talk all the time about how deep the PGA Tour is and how the overall talent level is just absolutely off the charts. Golf without Tiger is a loser. And I say that as somebody who probably watches more golf than most, you know, love watching the January tournaments on the Golf Channel. It's not just the Masters and the U.S. Open for me. But do you remember how much fun the Masters was with Tiger in the mix? I love this new date for the PGA Championship. But it wasn't all that much fun watching a tournament that Tiger played in but didn't make the cut and wasn't around for part of the weekend. And my guess, Borky, is that the ratings suffered as well. I haven't seen numbers yet, but yes, they're going to. You already had a guy that had a seven-shot lead going into it, and the leaderboard was not 
I hate using this term, but I'm just going to use it. The leaderboard was not sexy at all to begin with, so I can't imagine they were very good. Another loser, Game of Thrones. Not because the episode oh, and the way they ended the show last night was complete garbage and against everything that they've built up. But yes. Remember how there was a coffee cup on set a few episodes ago? Yeah. There was a plastic water bottle in one of the scenes. I think they just got episode. sloppy. I don't think it's product placement. I think they just got sloppy in the last year. Yep. Yeah, Absolutely. With, with the Missouri way they wrapped baseball. it up. Missouri baseball is my loser. Went from possibly hosting to on the bubble in one weekend. Mm. Bubbly. That's Missouri baseball. We'll flip over to the SEC tournament coming up next. We'll take a look at the bracket. And Hey Dad gave you a little bit of tease on the postseason awards that were announced earlier today by the SEC. We'll give you the full rundown who made first team, second team, all-freshman team, players of the year, coaches of the year, and whatnot in the Renaissance Bank studio. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Monday. rest of the week, we'll be in Hoover for the SEC Baseball Tournament. Looking forward to that with you. Game one tomorrow, 9.30 first pitch. Florida Gators and the Texas A&M Aggies. Would I be correct to assume that Texas A&M is going to throw Ace Lacey in Game 1, considering the fact that he was suspended yeah, he and work. did not pitch this past weekend? Yeah, that might be, a, that might be a, a safe discussion, yeah. If that's the case, advantage A&M. Yeah. And probably season over for Florida. Doesn't that feel like even though their RPI is pretty good, Florida's got some work to do just to get in? Yeah, yeah it does. So big game for the Gators, and I don't know who Florida is going to pitch. Game two, one o'clock scheduled first pitch, Missouri and Ole Miss. Ole Miss is throwing Will Etheridge. Uh, Mike Bianco announced that in the post game on Thursday night. Uh, so no doubt as to what Ole Miss would do. I have not seen it announced, or have not seen announced yet, who uh, Missouri is scheduled to pitch in uh, in that first game tomorrow. I, this is just. I'll From be able to tell you. Give me one second. Um, Connor Ash, he's a sophomore right-hander. Um, Ole Miss saw him earlier this year in relief. Only two okay. scoreless innings. I just wondered if Missouri was going to throw that lefty Cantleberry that threw in uh, in game one. Really handcuffed Ole Miss in that game. Sycamore threw on Friday night, so he was not going to be in the mix as well. Um, Ole Miss is in the tournament. Probably is a low two seed right now. You know, is there anything that, I mean, barring playing their way to the championship game, which would mean a win on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, at least two more wins on those two days, and then a win in the semifinals, which would be four wins. And I still don't know if that would be enough to get Ole Miss back into the hosting mix. The only reason that I throw that out there as a possibility is because if Ole Miss did that, they would get to 20 wins against SEC teams. And the RPI would take a pretty significant boost. I just don't know if it would be enough. You guys have a thought on that one way or the other? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't think that. I don't think that Ole Miss can get back into the hosting discussion. Just, just for me, you know, they they've lost what five or six of their last seven games. They have. Even even with a good run, I think I think it, the, the best they can hope for is to be a two seed in, in a non top eight seeded regional at this point. 
So they're 16 and 14, but in reality, 16 and 15 because the game against Mississippi State in the Governor's Cup counts on that team sheet that, that the committee's looking at. So if they were to go four and one, well, I guess it would be four and two if they didn't actually win the championship game, that'd get you to 20 and 17 against SEC opponents. Yeah. I don't know. I, I tend to agree It'd with you. It'd be really I, tight. No, I a hundred percent agree, and I think it would be so much based on RPI at that point. Um, to me, the the reason that Ole Miss making a run in Hoover could be a good thing is they just need to put together two or three or four games in a row where they play well and kind of reestablish some confidence. I think it hasn't would be a, been something they've done all season, though, is it? Well, I mean, they've had two other, game stretches in Baton Rouge and in Fayetteville. Yeah, there was there was the stretch for what they played really well seven out of eight games when they got the last two against Arkansas and then they lost a midweek game to uh, North Alabama, which was obviously bad. But then swept Florida and turned around and beat Southern Miss, and then I think maybe won game one after that. So there, there was to me that's the window where they consistently played the best for an extended period of time. I tell you the other thing that I think Ole Miss desperately needs to happen while they're in Hoover, they need Parker Caracy to come out on the mound and have a good outing so that he can flush the last three terrible outings that he's had and just get a little bit of confidence. Because right now, because Ole Miss had to win that game against Tennessee on Sunday, or excuse me, on Saturday, game three. They didn't turn to Parker Caracy, their All-American closer from a year ago. They handed it to their center fielder. And Ryan Olenek came in and got the last three outs of the game and picked up the save. That's not a recipe for making a run in June. No, it's not. Game three tomorrow is Tennessee against Auburn. Start uh, scheduled for a 4.30 first pitch, and then South Carolina LSU will play at 8. On Wednesday... Uh, Georgia, as the three seed, will play the early game against the winner of Florida and Texas A&M. Arkansas, as the two seed, will play against the winner of Missouri and Ole Miss. Vanderbilt, as the number one overall seed, gets that 4.30 Central Time slot against the winner of Tennessee-Auburn. And then Mississippi State in the nightcap will play either South Carolina or LSU. Who would you rather see in that game, Hey Dad, South Carolina or LSU? Boy, what a tough question. That may be the toughest question you've asked me since I've joined this show. I think uh, I speak for the Mississippi State fan base when I say they'd rather see South Carolina. It'd be more fun to play LSU, wouldn't it? Well, it depends. I, I, I subscribe to the Houston nut theory of fun that I spell it W-I-N. Mm-hmm. I get you. <laughs> no, I, no, I, I mean, completely get what you're saying. I just, you know, a little bit more, I, I, little bit I, more juice in the building on Wednesday no night for that. an eight, eight thirty, nine o'clock first. No question pitch. about it. No question about it. I, I'm interested to see how State plays this. You know, I, I have an idea. They haven't announced the starters. I have an idea that Wednesday is probably going to be Brandon Smith, and then, you know, based on win or loss, what do you do? Because I don't think you you just mentioned. Uh, Ace Lacy not getting getting any action last week. You don't want to go through this week and not have Small again pitch some. So I would think Small's pitching on Thursday regardless, and then you sort of have to figure it out. Do you, does Gen go on Friday if you're in the loser's bracket, or can you hold him till Saturday if you're in the winner's bracket? And it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays well, out. Lamone has made it very clear that, you know, 
the tournament, it's, it's great and all, but you know they're not going to mismanage pitching in an attempt to win this. You know they they realize they have bigger fish to fry. And, and in a perfect world, they just throw whoever on Wednesday yeah. and get a win, and then throw Ethan Small on a full week's rest on Thursday and get a win, and then you've got Friday off, and the yeah. next time you pitch is in the semifinals, where you could throw JT Ginn, and if you win that game, now you're in the championship game with your third starter going. So Peyton Plumley would theoretically throw a championship game on Sunday. I mean, at that point in the, in, in the the tournament, with with everybody having played as many games, Peyton Plumley is about as good at a Sunday starter as you can get in that situation. I would think. Yeah, I asked Haydad this over the weekend, Richard. You, from your perspective, if you were in a Mississippi State fan, deep down, I know you want to win the tournament because your team's playing and you want to win. But would you rather them go zero and two? and rest their arms and get ready to host a regional and be a national seed or make it to Sunday. And you don't know the outcome of Sunday. So just make it to Sunday. 100 times out of 100, I would rather make it to Sunday. I know it's not the popular answer. I, I get it. But I like winning. And I hate losing. And if we're going to put on our uniforms... And we've been playing baseball all year long. Let's keep playing good baseball, and let's go out. Now, if you told me that they lose on Wednesday and then win on Thursday and have to play on Friday and grind it out and they get a win and then they have to go deep in, oh, oh, okay, it, yes. But if the scenario plays out like we said a second ago, get a win on Wednesday, win on Thursday, and Friday's an off day, man, I want to yep. win the whole dang thing. At that point, you don't feel like you're stretching anything to win it either. You you're just like playing that, ball. You just you're just playing a normal series at that. But that point. wasn't so, the yeah. question. The question isn't if they get to Sunday this way. Yeah. Would you rather them go zero and two, or just get to Sunday without knowing exactly how? I would rather win. And I guess there's really no right answer, right? Because Ray Tanner did the tanking thing in the SEC tournament so successfully, but yeah. I mean that's that's not the the tried-and-true, 100% effective, proven formula? I know the answer is somewhere in the middle, but today's poll question for me was, how important is the SEC tournament? I had two options, meaningless or must-win. Right now it's 89% meaningless. Oh, now, when you ask the question that way, the answer is it's meaningless. Mississippi State's a national seed regardless of going 0-2 or 4-0 and winning the whole tournament or falling somewhere in between. They're a national seed. That's fine. Borky's question is, would I rather go 0-2 and rest... Or get to Sunday. I'd rather get to Sunday because I got a chance to win a championship. Yeah. Oh, but Richard, it's the SEC tournament. It doesn't matter. You're right. It doesn't. That's fine. But you ask me, would trophy. you rather win or lose? I'd rather win. Well, Period. for this MSU media member, I'm saying that it's meaningless. So. I again, I don't. It's two different questions that you asked. Oh, I know. I know. But I'm just making. I want to make it clear that this particular MSU media member is saying that it's meaningless. Well, I'm not an MSU media member, period. I'm a media member in the state of Mississippi. When you ask the question, is it meaningless or is it must win, it's meaningless. If you ask the question, do you want to win or lose, I want to win. Just me, though. Teddy Cahill will join us when we come back on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Farm Bureau. 
Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Teddy Cahill from Baseball America, national writer there. You can follow him on Twitter at Ted Cahill. Teddy, what's up, man? Conference tournament week. It's a, it's a busy week. It's a great week, though. I mean, we're a week away from knowing the tournament field in the NCAA, and, and it, this week everyone playing for a lot, so it's a, it's a fun time. We were debating a question right before the uh, the break um, and kind of looking at this from a Mississippi State perspective. It, it, actually, two different questions. This Mississippi th- this week at the SEC tournament for Mississippi State is either meaningless or what was the other option, hey, Dad? Must win. Must win. When put out that way, it's pretty meaningless, or at least it feels like that to me for Mississippi State. But asked a different way, would you rather – go two and out, lose two games, go home and get ready for a regional, or make a run to Sunday and see what happens in the championship game. Which way do you fall on that second scenario? Um, you know, I don't ever want to discount winning a trophy. Like, that definitely means something. But if presented that way, I think I'd rather just get ready for a regional, get the pitching rested. You know, everyone's thrown a lot of innings, just kind of kind of get it lined up the way you want it to get it lined up um, rather than, you know, going and um, playing, what, four games this week. I, I, I guess I, I lean more towards that way. But I'm if, if you start winning games, you know, I understand the appeal of going out and winning a championship, but there's a lot, there's a lot to be said for dogpiling and Hoover. Who does who does the SEC tournament this week matter the most for? Uh, you know, I mean, I think you have to look at the teams at the bottom here with Florida and Missouri. Um, you know, even Tennessee and Auburn. Um, you know, fighting for for wins here, and uh, especially a team like a Missouri that you know is trying to uh, you know get back on track after what happened last weekend, and, and Tennessee trying to. Yeah, I mean they're probably in right now, but you know they probably feel a lot better, um, you know, about snapping this uh, regional drought if they were to win on Tuesday against Auburn. So I think you have to look at those teams uh, as the ones that it matters the most to right now. All right, all right. So let's look at NCAA tournament for a second. Vanderbilt's a national seed. We know that. Mississippi State's a national seed. We know that. Arkansas, thumbs up, thumbs down on national seed. No doubt. I'm still feeling good about that. I wouldn't necessarily say no doubt because their RPI says that they might be, you know, of the four, they're in the most trouble because they're sixth in the RPI. But at the same time, they won the West and they swept Mississippi State. So, you know, they have some very positive things going on for them as well. So I, I feel like, yes, right now, um, but, you know, if things really went screwy, and see Georgia Tech and Oklahoma State go win the ACC in the Big 12, um, you know, then uh, you know, someone from the SEC might give, and maybe that's Arkansas. Georgia national seed, we feel good about that? Yeah, feel good about Georgia. They're third in the RPI, 21 SEC wins. That, that's going to be hard to say no to, I think. All right, so that's four national seeds. After that, is LSU a host? Right now, I would say yes. Um, but I think that they are the most vulnerable of uh, the hosts, maybe across the board. Or maybe across the board, you know, they, they might be the number sixteen host right now. I haven't, um, you know, lined them all up yet. But I think right now, with seventeen SEC wins, if it ended today, I would say they're hosting. But I, I 
do know. I mean, with their RPI on the say it's at twenty one. Yeah, I mean I, that's that's iffy. But I think that when you look at it versus an A and M, you know they won, they beat A and M head to head, and they finished ahead of A and M in the standings. So you know if the choice is that, or if you're looking at a West Virginia that's thirteen eleven in the Big Twelve, you know I think that LSU has a little bit of leeway there because they they got to seventeen SEC wins and they have those nineteen top fifty wins, which is uh, you know third most, fourth most in the country, something like that. So I mean it's a uh, they have some things on their resume that, that are pretty solid. Okay, so four national seeds, LSU is a host. Texas A&M would be next in line. 16-13-1 in the SEC, coming off an impressive uh, series win against Arkansas, and they did that without Asa Lacey this weekend. Can Texas A&M play themselves into a host spot this week in Hoover? Absolutely. I, they definitely can, and they especially... Um, you know, I mean, they need to win games here, but I, I think that they they definitely can if they go on a run similar to what they did last year. They would they would walk out of Hoover as host. And then the the last one that would be even up for potential debate, although I don't think there's a whole lot of debate to to be had about this, is there anything that Ole Miss can do in Hoover? Because right now they're 16 and 14, so they got to 16 wins. If they made a run to Sunday, could they play themselves into a host spot considering the fact that they go into the week with an RPI of 31? I like would really have to run some numbers here, but if they won the SEC tournament, I think that might be a host. But it, anything short of lifting that trophy on Sunday, and they are not hosting, I don't think. Okay. Well, and if they do that, then that would be 21 wins against... 15 losses um, in SEC play because they've got that game against Mississippi State in the Governor's Cup that they lost that kind of goes onto the team sheet as well. So uh, certainly a long shot at this point for uh, for Ole Miss. Um, it's a, certainly a fascinating time of the year. With, with Ole Miss, you, you look at this thing where they've lost six of seven. They salvage one against Tennessee in the, the final uh, game of the regular season. What do you think's gone wrong for Ole Miss that has kind of put them into a tailspin here at the end of the year? That's a tough one. I mean, they, this team has been streaky all year, though, I feel like. And I feel like when they're they're going their best, um, you know, it's uh, they, they do have a little bit better pitching than what they've got in the last couple of weeks. And I, I think that, you know, maybe that's an easy thing to point to. But, you know, I they, they've, they've their highs are so high, but they also can go into these funks. We've seen that. And so I, they just haven't really been a consistent team much of the season, and unfortunately for them right now, they're hitting uh, one of these skids at, at the end of the season. All right, so bubble teams going into the SEC tournament. Tennessee, Missouri, Florida, Auburn. Of that group of four teams, I think you said a second ago you think Tennessee's in. Certainly with a win, they could bolster their chances. What about Missouri, Florida, and Auburn? Are those teams in? Are they out? Can they get in? Can they play themselves out? Yeah, right now I would say Tennessee and Auburn probably are in. You have to get to 64 somehow. And so the fact (laughs) that they're 14 and 16 in the SEC but have top 20 RPIs, I think that's all of it. I would say right now Florida and Missouri might both be out. Uh, That's hard to say without, like, actually putting the whole field together. They are going to be right on the edge. And – I think working against Florida is the fact that they uh, finished behind Missouri in the standings. Working against Missouri is they got swept by Florida at home. 
Um, so I think that both of them, uh, you know, they're, they're going to be right on the edge if, as it stands, they both would feel a lot, a lot better with uh, not only a win tomorrow, but then another win either on Wednesday or Thursday. And, you know, I mean, it, there, there's so many funky things working here. Like last year, we see Kentucky get left out at 13 and 17. And in 2016, we saw North Carolina get left out at 13 and 17, despite having a top 20 RPI. Yeah. Uh, but every year, the, the, the bubble is different. And this year, the bubble is just so soft that there might be more room for a 13 and 17 team. But I think there'd be more room if that 13 and 17 team uh, went out and, and won on Tuesday in Hoover. So was the bubble different last year? Because we all remember Ray Tanner talking to us about the importance of having a winning record in conference play, and that was kind of the difference in Kentucky getting in versus not getting in at 13 and 17 a year ago. Is the softer bubble, does that make it easier for the selection committee to add a couple of teams that maybe are below 500 in conference play just because you don't have great competition for those last few spots? Yeah, I think absolutely that that makes a difference right now. And, um, you know, obviously we're talking before any upsets happen in conference tournaments and, and then, you know, you start squeezing this a little tighter if, um, you know, some of these especially mid-major con- regular season conference champions with good RPIs lose. But, you know, I, RP, the RPI has been kind of funky all season long. I feel like there are a lot of teams like that that, you know, they're just, it's not just the RPI. I mean, you look across the leagues, uh, almost everyone on the bubble is either right at 500 in their conference or under 500. And if that's what the entire bubble looks like, well, they're going to have to be a little less um, choosy about not putting in under 500 teams, or they're going to have to start reaching further uh, down the RPI tree than they, than they usually do. So I, I think okay. in that, I, I think ultimately you would route, they will, maybe lean more towards the, the teams with the better RPIs and the better conferences rather than stretching for a, a team in a, a lesser conference with a lesser RPI. All right, so final thing, and, and we've only got about 30 seconds left. Southern Miss finishes second in Conference USA at 20-10. and 10. Do they have to win the Conference USA tournament with an RPI of 56, or can they win a couple of games, not necessarily win at all, and still get an at-large bid? I know Scott Berry is of the mindset that they have to win it all. I am more of the mindset that if they play deep into that thing, uh, they, they have a chance, but it would make it a lot easier if they were at least in the championship game and obviously winning the auto bid would, would sew it all up. But I think that they have a shot at it. You going to be in Hoover this week, Teddy? I will be in Hoover. Look forward to seeing you there. Thank you, my friend. Absolutely. Thank you. That's uh, Teddy Cahill from Baseball America at Ted Cahill on Twitter. Last chance. I promise. This time it's the last chance. Best last chance. Chad Kelly getting another last, second, final, extra chance in the NFL. He was invited by the Indianapolis Colts to attend a rookie minicamp. He impressed the team enough that they have signed him as a fourth quarterback on the roster. So he is going to join on the roster Andrew Luck, backup Jacoby Brissett, and Phillip Walker and will be given a chance to compete for a roster spot. He's not competing for a starting job. They've got Andrew Luck. Probably not competing for a backup job because they've got Jacoby Prissett. But it is an opportunity to get back into the NFL when it felt like maybe 
the last best chance was the one that was afforded to him by the Denver Broncos. You guys like this move by the Colts? I mean, you can't lose, right? That's the thing with... Chad Kelly's received a lot of chances in his life. Don't get me wrong, but people talk about what John Elway did in Denver with Chad Kelly as some kind of favor to Jim Kelly. And maybe it was, but Chad Kelly was the last player selected in the draft. Denver cutting him was no skin off their back. It was no risk. They didn't give up anything. He was the last pick of the draft. Same thing with the Colts here. They're not having to give up anything for him. They're not, it's not a risky PR move, and they don't need him to come in and be straight and be a starter. He's obviously extremely talented, talented enough to be a starter in the NFL, probably. I mean, he was on his way to doing so in Denver before they cut him to begin with. But they don't lose anything here. Because as you said, they already have their established starter, their established backup. But if you can get a guy that's this talented with no risk and not giving up anything on your roster, it's a no-brainer. No matter how stupid he's been. The only way they can lose is if he goes and does something really stupid. Now, let's not count that out because this is a guy who, like you said, has gotten a lot of second chances and hasn't seemed to learn his lesson yet. So if he goes out and does something, you know, off the charts bad, then the Colts look like idiots for, like, why do you keep giving this guy a second chance? But but Borky is right. Right now, if assuming he can stay on the straight and narrow, which is a big assumption, you, know, you didn't lose anything. You got a quality backup quarterback. And to Borky's point, he wouldn't be getting a chance if they didn't think he could play. Yeah, talent trumps everything. I mean, that, that's just kind of the bottom line in this deal. They think he can still play a little bit. And he potentially adds depth. And let's not pretend like Andrew Luck hasn't had health issues in his uh, career. He obviously has. And so if they're able to add some depth. And look, we've said it over and over that Chad Kelly was a, was headed toward being the starter a year ago for the, uh, for the Denver Broncos. Now, it never got to that point, And we don't know. There's no way to know if it would have gotten to that point or not. But it felt like it was headed in that direction. He was the backup on that team after going 40 for 60 in preseason games for 466 yards, three touchdowns, and two picks. And he became a fan favorite in Denver. And then he became kind of a laughing stock because of what he did. Yeah, so one... Attacking a guy with a vacuum cleaner. No, he got attacked. That's right. He was attacked. Yeah. Yes, after because he wouldn't leave. Right. Now I saw an NFL guy suggest to, or say, well, "How does this kid keep getting chances?" It's like, well, because he's cheap. And then go watch him play. That's how. Yeah. And of course, that immediately gets equated back to Colin Kaepernick, and that's just a, a rabbit hole that people love to die dive down. That, that rabbit hole got deep today too. I saw a lot of. Oh that. my goodness! Well, because he's cheap, he's no risk, and the I mean, the worst thing that Chad Kelly has done so far is make a bad headline for a day. But if he's your third string quarterback, who cares? Yeah. I mean, he's an idiot. Let, let him be it. an idiot if he does it again. If it, it's, it's when he goes from being an idiot to being something not good in terms of you know what's sure publicly not acceptable these days that's that's the only chance the Colts have of looking bad in this yeah and to his credit that hasn't been part of Chad Kelly's story he's 25 years old former seventh round pick uh, good quarterback in the SEC big arm we'll see how it goes good for Chad Kelly happy for him to get another opportunity, and you really, really hope. We've talked about extra opportunities for Johnny Manziel. 
and he keeps messing them up. You hope that Chad Kelly is able to take this last best opportunity and either make the team in Indianapolis or even if he doesn't make it in Indy, show enough that maybe somebody else decides to give him a chance. Sports Talk Mississippi, College Football Fix is next in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Just after 5 o'clock, Monday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Glad to have you along. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad. We're going to be joined, oh, coming up in a little while, half an hour or so, by Brian Scott Rippey, who is already in Hoover for the SEC Baseball Tournament. Maybe my favorite event of the year. I just, I love it. I look forward to it. I'm excited about going. I've uh, spent all day today making sure I had everything ready to go and ready to roll out tonight as soon as we get finished with the uh, the show. Hey, Dad, are you excited about it? Well, this is the first one I've covered, so I am excited. I've been to it many times as a fan, but never uh, as a uh, as a member of the media, so yeah. excited. It's, uh, it's fun, and, and maybe it sounds silly, and I mean, there are people... Uh, you know, Ole Miss folks are gonna be like, ah, why are you excited about this? Ole Miss doesn't have a chance. It doesn't matter to me. I, I, I love the event that is the SEC baseball tournament. And I was kind of on the fence for a while about whether or not it should stay in Hoover. I'm, I'm off the fence on that. I, I love that it's there. It's an easy drive. The facility's fine. They've continued to make upgrades to it. Everything that goes along with it is good. City of Hoover does a, a first class job with it. I am, Team SEC Baseball Tournament, and I am Team Hoover. So, there you go. Sports Talks brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. It's time right now for the college football fix. For what it's worth, I hope you have a miserable time. I told you earlier today I wish that you could go. Play the music. I was waiting on the college football fix, but instead we got Borky trying to throw a big old cloudy water balloon on top of everything. I wish you could go, Borky. Somebody's got to do the job, though, that you do that nobody else knows how to do. I had to stall because the music wouldn't play. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure that's the reason. I'm sure that's that's the reason. That's how you decided to vamp with anger. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Now through the 4th of July, plus a couple of days after that, special savings going on for veterans and first responders, in addition to the incentives that are already on Ford cars, trucks, and SUVs, including the F-150, the best-selling truck in America for 42 straight years. Strength of schedule for SEC teams this year, according to Tom Fornelli, at CBS, it's like how many different ways can we look at the schedule? We're going to keep love on every single way we look at it, though. Man, I'm with you, and we're going to keep on, keep on, keep on finding different ways to look at it. You want to go fourteen to one or one to fourteen? I worst say go first. Oh, okay. We'll start with the worst, even though this is no surprise to anybody at all. Worst schedule in the SEC belongs to the Alabama Crimson Tide. It's almost like the league office makes these things. Well, in fairness, I know, I know, it's, it's, I know. it's Duke. It's Duke that's killing them. Nine times out of ten, their first game is against a power team, and they got help Duke. with their bye weeks appearing before their two toughest games of the year. Well, that's that's not really a. That's not about. That, that's the schedule. You're trying to make the, the league schedule. office the bad guy here, man. The, 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 it's just. Alabama's the best. You think the league office is a good guy? 
Alabama, this is the schedule strength. So this is not like boring or interesting. This is the weakest schedule in the SEC as far as quality of opponent and where they're situated on the schedule belongs to Alabama. So, so your question, do I think the league office is a good guy? I don't think the league office is out to get anybody. And I'm sure there are a lot of people, oh, Richard's carrying the water for the yes. It's fine. Believe whatever you want. That's fine. I don't think they're out to get anybody per se, but if you told me that it was uncovered that they helped some people along the way, I would not be shocked at all to read that headline. Okay. That's Alabama's a black helicopter you hear outside your window, by the way. Well, it's outside your window, not mine. <laughs> Since 2010, Alabama's non-conference schedules have been headlined by Louisville, Florida State, Southern Cal, Wisconsin, West Virginia, Virginia Tech, Michigan, and Penn State. It's not like they've run from good competition. This year, it's Duke, and Duke is not those teams. So Alabama with the worst schedule. Kentucky is number 13. Their non-conference schedule includes Toledo, Eastern Michigan, UT Martin, and Louisville which a couple of years ago was a big deal. Right now, though, Louisville's terrible. Just a quick point on Alabama, too. You know, the SEC instituted this rule that you have to play a Power 5 team every year. But because mm-hmm. Alabama is constantly in this first of the week neutral, first of the year, first week neutral site game, it's going to be a while. I don't know. I think they've got something coming with Texas and maybe Notre Dame, but they haven't had anybody come to Alabama or have to go on the road as of yet and state state you know will bring kansas state in this year old miss has cal coming in has been to cal so something else to notice there a little sidebar uh, so anytime somebody tells you by the way because you've already had these conversations come up that the sec needs to go to nine conference games instead of just eight because if the pac-12 has to play nine so should the sec and, and that kind of stuff it turns out Go adding an additional conference game has actually made the strength of schedule in the Pac-12 worse by adding an that extra conference game. That wouldn't be the case, game. though, in the SEC. Would Probably it? not, but think about that for a second. They made their strength of schedule worse by adding another conference opponent to the schedule. Hmm. A little sidebar. Let's go back to SEC, but I had yeah, to get the, that in the, there somehow. The league's not very good. So Kentucky 13, Vanderbilt 12, Auburn 11. Season opener against Oregon would have carried more weight if uh, Tom Fornelli said he was still using his five-year model instead of the three-year version. But it's a respectable game at a neutral site. Missouri at number 10, Florida at number 9, which is a little crazy to me because Florida plays Miami and Florida State. Yeah, but Florida State's no good. And they're talking about a three-year model. They've been, This is what? The last two years they've been hot garbage. What's a tougher game? Oh, this might be a really might be a really bad question because I'm projecting on one of them. But what's a tougher game? Appalachian State at home or Florida State at home this year? That's a good question. It sounds kind of mm. silly, but you gotta think about it for a second with how bad New Florida State was last year. I, I don't know. If if they if if is it Satterfield? Scott Satterfield, now? yeah. Yeah, if he were still at Appalachian, I might say it's Appalachian. Don't know who the new coach is there. Mississippi State at number 8 on the schedule strength rank, according to Tom Fernelli at CBS. Nothing wrong with Kansas State as your non-conference headliner, but compared to other non-conference schedules in the SEC, doesn't carry a lot of weight, nor do the Ragin' Cajuns, Southern Miss, or Abilene Christian. Also, getting Kentucky and Tennessee from the east is favorable, particularly with Kentucky coming to Starkville 
Mississippi State gets LSU and Alabama at home this year. Number seven on the list, LSU. They're going to Austin to take Texas, uh, take on uh, Texas in week two, and that kind of helps their overall strength of schedule. Georgia Southern, Utah State are okay. Um, Vanderbilt is who they get as their road game from the east. They've got Florida, Auburn, Alabama, and A&M, plus road games against Mississippi State and Ole Miss. Number six is Tennessee. Non-conference schedule, BYU, Georgia State, Chattanooga, and UAB. But in addition to Alabama, they... Who else from the West this year? Mississippi State. Mississippi State as well, so not easy. BYU should not count as a Power 5 opponent anymore. I agree with that. Probably should have never been that way to begin with, but it definitely doesn't need to be that way now. Can you make that change, or is that like uh, you're offending too many people if you do it? Probably offending too many people, but that is not a Power 5 opponent anymore. You're offending a bunch of nice people. and they probably Yeah, they'll take it really well. They'll take it in stride. Uh, Let's see. Ole Miss, number five on the list. Uh, Their non-conference schedule, mostly respectable, even if it doesn't feature any big-name opponents. Memphis on the road, Cal at home, southeastern Louisiana, New Mexico State. What separated Ole Miss from Arkansas, who's number four in the end, was the Rebels get Vandy, while Arkansas has a road game against Kentucky. Texas A&M is in Oxford uh, also this year, whereas A&M plays uh, Arkansas on a neutral site. Arkansas at number four says it gets a slight boost because of the rest of their SEC West counterparts, the Arkansas Razorbacks. Um, dra- uh, the Hogs don't have Arkansas dragging their strength of schedule down. <laughs> That's only for the first month of the season, though. They'll get because they better. keep getting better. It's, it's like on Monty Python. It got better. What a great line, though. <laughs> Look, this is wrong. Arkansas plays in the non-conference. Portland State, Colorado State, San Jose State, and Western Kentucky. Yeah, State and Ole Miss are both better schedules than that. How and are... they get Kentucky and Missouri out of the East. Yeah, Do they get a... some kind of exception or, or what? Why are they able to pull off? Because they don't because have the Michigan easy win can, that uh, is Arkansas. Michigan canceled on them. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I bet they're regretting that now. Uh, Texas A&M at number three. They've got Clemson in the non-conference. Georgia at number two. They've got Notre Dame in the non-conference. And South Carolina at number one. They open the season with North Carolina. They close it out with uh, Clemson at the end of the year in the non-conference. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Hey, join the JT Show Thursday in Clinton at Traceway Park for the kickoff of the NJCAA Junior College Softball National Championship as the best teams from across the nation converge on central Mississippi. Hear about all that's happening in Clinton as well. That's this Thursday at Traceway Park in Clinton with the JT Show for the NJCAA Softball National Championship tournament we've been there several times in recent years and that's always a a fun event and some big time softball uh, being played there in clinton city of clinton does a fantastic job putting that event on and that's why they've extended that contract a couple of times also you can catch the jt show live 
from Corner Market Food Store in Hattiesburg. On Fridays, they celebrate Labor Day with specials throughout their beautiful new Midtown store. Stock up for your holiday cookout, grab some Super Talk swag, and take advantage of holiday savings throughout the store. It's the JT Show live this Friday at Corner Market in Midtown Hattiesburg. So busy week coming up here on Super Talk Mississippi. Hey, Dad, are you um, are you a cook on Memorial Day kind of guy? I have been known to uh, fire up the grill, yes. What are you going to put on the grill this year, Memorial Day? I don't we know. We're working, day, by the way. Yeah, we are. Yeah, we'll be working that day, so I don't know how much uh, I'll be doing, to be honest with you. Well, I mean, you can prep it in advance and then go home and cook well, when the show's over. I mean, I can, but I, I don't know. I have to think about it. I haven't really, I haven't put any thought into it. Okay. Well, why do you ask? Enough. I was trying to decide if I was coming over to eat. Uh, well, if that if you're coming over, I'm for sure I'll I'll put something on the grill. Yeah, I'm probably not. I, something came up. I don't think I'm gonna be able to make it. Use. Say what? Nothing. I didn't say anything. Got my um, hand really close to that dump button right now. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you weren't sure where Hey Dad was going to go I with that? No idea where that was headed. <laughs> uh, I know where to stop. Let's see here. Some postseason baseball awards that have been handed out today. Player of the year in the SEC, not surprisingly, JJ Bladay. Kind of hard to argue with, right? No, you can't argue with that. And he did all that with the most obnoxious human on the planet in the stands for every game, which is, I mean, even more remarkable. His numbers. What did he finish with? 24 home runs in the regular season? Pitcher of the year was Ethan Small. Speaking of guys with good numbers. Hello. SEC Pitcher of the Year, Ethan Small. SEC Freshman of the Year, JT Ginn. So Mississippi State racking up with the uh, the guys on the arms. There's a reason we've talked about the one-two punch this year of uh, Mississippi State's pitching staff. That is it. Scholar Athlete of the Year, Garrett Stallings from Tennessee. Let's talk about Coach of the Year for a second. Tim Corbin from Vanderbilt wins the award. 17th season. Third time he's been named Coach of the Year. Led Vanderbilt to its first SEC championship since 2013. 45 wins in the regular season. Ranked top two in the country basically for the entire year. Are you okay with Tim Corbin being named SEC Coach of the Year? No. Nah. Why? Because it's easy to win games when you get to offer more scholarships than everybody else. Yeah, and even but if you don't, that, hold on. Even if you don't go that far, just winning with the favorite when there's a when there are other teams who people didn't think were going to be as good and turned out they were great. Yeah, I mean, state that's was more impressive. Picked to finish sixth in the West sixth preseason. In the West, they won twenty yeah. games. Yeah, I mean, honestly, the, the of the four coaches that won twenty games this year, I would argue that Corbin would be fourth among them, behind Lamonis, Van Horn, and Strickland. Yeah, that or would maybe Tony Vitello? Vitello could have been in the conversation. And honestly, if they had won some games this weekend, whoever Missouri's coach, I don't even know his name, and it doesn't Steve matter Beezer. what his name Steve Quanzo Beezer. Yeah, sure. He uh, <laughs> he could have been in the conversation had they won some games this weekend. Hey, the jerk store called, and they're out of you. <laughs> anyway. So you you Steve think you're Quanzo fine with Quanzo Beezer. Wow. <laughs> No, no, no. I, I, I don't necessarily agree with Tim Corbin, but 
I we we're so quick to just over and over and over throw out the well Vanderbilt's playing a different game than everybody else. Yeah, because they I, are. I get that. I, no, I get that. But at some point, that just sounds like an excuse for everybody else. Vanderbilt's only won one national championship. That's an indictment on him, isn't it? Yeah. Their best team didn't even make the college. It's hard to win a national championship. National championship is tough, but it's super regionals and Omaha appearances how you should be measured. Because once you get there, it's kind of a crapshoot, right? Like I said, their their best team didn't make the College World Series. That 2013 team went 27 and three in the conference and lost the home super regional to Louisville, and not not Dan McDonald's best Louisville team. Was that the best Vanderbilt team, or was the best team the one that lost to Michigan in uh, I mean, in that's, Nashville? That's a good question too. He's got with some, David Price. Some, some I mean, I, I like the I mean 27 and three Pedro Alvarez. 27 and three is is worth something to me, but. Uh, was it Tony Kemp was on that team? And I can't remember all the guys. You know, Tyler Beatty was, was one of their uh, their starters. I mean, they were great. But they Hansby Swanson was young. Yes, yeah, Swanson was on that team. And, yeah, so, yeah, I mean, like I said, for, for me, the job Lamonis did, obviously his peers thought there were going to be question marks there. And he pushed a lot of the right buttons. Think about some of the, 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 the things he did, you know, moving the – switching around the middle infield. You know, that's something that – when he did that, I think they were maybe you know only had four or five losses on the season. You don't maybe you don't want to tinker, but he felt like he had to do it. And some of the stuff he's done, you know, Rippy, you've heard him talk about it, about it with analytics and and utilizing the shift stuff. Mississippi State has never done in the past, and he's been very successful with it. Yeah, um, Tim Corbin's been to three College World Series in his uh, seventeen years at Vanderbilt. Well, he First at least team, three or four more. Uh, let's see. Super regional in both seventeen and eighteen. Obviously, last year lost one to uh, to Mississippi State. Uh, super regional in twenty thirteen that Haydad mentioned twenty six and three in the conference that year. Super regional in twenty ten. Super regional in two thousand four. So, and some good teams that uh, Tim Corbin has had at Vanderbilt. Uh, SEC uh, first team All SEC. Philip Clark from Vanderbilt to catcher, Tanner Allen from State at first, Justin Foscue from State at second, Austin Martin from Vanderbilt at third, Gray Kessinger at short from Ole Miss, outfield of J.J. Blade from Vanderbilt, Jake Mangum from State, and Alaric Soler from uh, Tennessee. Nelson Maldonado is the uh, designated hitter slash utility player from Florida. Starting pitchers, uh, two of them, Ethan Small and Emerson Hancock. Well, I'm glad those two guys aren't on the same team. <laughs> Tyler Brown, the reliever from Vanderbilt, is the relief pitcher on the first-team All-SEC group. Second-team All-SEC, Cooper Johnson's the catcher. Trevor Ezel from Arkansas at first. LJ Talley from Georgia at second. Aaron Shunk from Georgia at third. Casey Martin from Arkansas at short. The outfielders, Dominic Fletcher and Heston Kerstad, both from Arkansas, and Antoine Duplantis from LSU. DH is Matt Goodhart from Arkansas. Starting pitchers, TJ Sykema and Zach Thompson. And then Matt Cronin is the relief pitcher. How about this freshman All-SEC team? They decided that you didn't have to have positions on this. And just in case you didn't know, there were some pretty good arms in the SEC that were freshmen this year. How about this? 
all starting pitchers, JT Ginn, Kumar Rocker Vanderbilt, Doug Nikhazy, Cole Henry at LSU, Cole Wilcox at Georgia, Patrick Wicklander and Connor Nolan, both at Arkansas. Ryan Bliss is the second baseman from Auburn. Christian Franklin, an outfielder, the left fielder from Arkansas. Joseph Menifee, a relief pitcher from Texas A&M. Kendrick Kalilau, the first baseman from Florida. And then Brett Carey, a reliever from South Carolina. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven starting pitchers, all that are freshmen. Think the league's going to get any easier, guys? No. Uh, no. We should give a shout out fi- to Tanner Allen, by the way, who a month ago was hitting 240, and today he's hitting 348. Would not first team I, All SEC. Yeah, I don't think he was going to be first team All SEC if we could have taken the ballots on on April 30th. No. SEC All Defensive Team: Cooper Johnson's the catcher, Trevor Ezel the first baseman. Uh, he tied in the voting with Julian Infante, and they don't break ties. L.J. Talley at second, Austin Martin at third, Cam Shepard from Georgia at short. The outfield on the All-SEC defensive team, Dominic Fletcher, Jake Mangum, Zach Watson, and the pitcher on that team, Garrett Stallings from Tennessee. So that's your first, second freshman and defensive SEC teams for 2019. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.